All right. If you would, take your Bible and open to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at two different passages of Scripture this morning. We're going to be looking at the end of Ephesians chapter 1. We're also going to be looking at the end of Matthew chapter 11. If you use your phone to access God's Word, we talked about that a little bit last week. If you have access to uh, the Bible on your phone, it will be easy to flip back and forth, or you can find those two passages, or they'll be up on the screen as well. We can look at those as, as we go along. So Ephesians at the end of chapter 1 is what we're going to be looking at initially as we continue our series in this idea of who is God. As Bess was getting ready to sing, she gave me an idea. I think that I need a track behind me as I preach. You know, that's not a bad idea. Something goes wrong, you just let the track continue to play, and I can step off to the side and, uh, and keep going. But it doesn't matter, track or not, I'm, I'm not going to sound like that. We are, we are certain of that. We won't sound, won't sound that good. But I think there is something in that, the preaching. Uh, you know that idea where artists get in trouble for lip syncing? You never know. I might be lip syncing right now. It might actually be. That's well played, Jeff. That's well played up there. That's really a scary amount of control that those guys uh, have, have on that, so uh, that, that's pretty funny. As we get started, uh, we want to do a couple of, we're, we're going to get to Ephesians, and we're going to stand in the honor of reading God's Word in just a moment, uh, but before we get to that point, a couple of preliminary things. Number one, next week, and, and I meant to put this in the bulletin, and, and the week just got away from me, but, but next week, we really need your help on parking. We will have at the 10.30 a.m. worship service a lot of people next week who normally don't come on Sunday morning. They'll be here to watch their kids seen on stage, kids that come to Vacation Bible School that aren't normally a part of our church, parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, all of them will want to come and and listen to their kids seen. And so if you're a regular or you just attend every so often, but you're here to hear me say this, if you could help us by parking away a little bit. Uh, you can park down Main Street toward the beach. There's an area down there you can park. Back behind our building along State Street, we have a lot of empty parking back there that's normally not used. And if you go down past the courthouse, there's a lot of parking back toward Court Street. And so if you're from around this area and you could park just a little bit further away next week, that, that would be a huge help. And it, it helps guests and people who are coming that aren't, aren't normally here. Here's the second thing I want us to do before we get started this morning. It, it would simply be unchristian of us to not take a minute to pray for the African Methodist Episcopal Church in, in Charleston. Uh, we need to stand together with our brothers and sisters. Now, granted, I, I recognize there are tragedies that happen every week. There are tragedies that happen every day that involve churches. But, but there's something about this particular tragedy, and I'll, I'll give you a lead-in to it. Uh, but, a, but an opportunity for us to come together in prayer this morning for them. Over the last uh, few months, I've had a chance to be a part of a coalition of pastors trying to come together across races. And so there is a group of black pastors and a group of white pastors that have begun meeting regularly over the last few months. We met together on Tuesday and had this conversation and this time of prayer, and then the news came out, and I could see the way the Lord was working in, in that way. 
Let me give you one other way that you can be involved this week. This Wednesday night, we are not having our regular Wednesday night activities here at First Baptist because it's Vacation Bible School week and everything is just sort of uh, in, in chaos. This Wednesday night at 6.30 at Milner Stadium in Gulfport. Milner Stadium is back there behind Memorial Hospital, just off east of Memorial Hospital there around the, I think that's the middle school, uh, Gulfport Middle School that's there. 6.30 this Wednesday night, there's going to be a, a Gulf Coast prayer meeting at, uh, at the stadium. You'll need to bring water. You know, you'll just need to think in terms, it's probably going to be very hot. There's going to be a lot of people there. But churches are coming together across denominational lines, across racial lines, and just gathering in prayer. And so if your schedule allows for it, it's 6.30 this Wednesday night at, at Milner Stadium in Gulfport. And so, excuse me. I wanted you to, uh, to be aware of that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand right now and read the end of Ephesians chapter 1. And after we read this passage, we're also going to remain standing and have a time of prayer for uh, the AME church in Charleston and that God would continue to work in our midst. So this is Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15 and, and reading to the end of the chapter. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word, seen through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, that when one part of the body, one part of Christ's body hurts, the rest of the members suffer together with the whole body. And Father, we know that Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston is hurting. God, we've seen that displayed. Even in the media hype, we still know that there is real pain and there is real suffering. And it's a suffering that affects the body of Christ, but in a way that can only be true through the resurrection, we have seen the power of Christ at work in and through that church. God, the power of forgiveness, the power of hope, the power of love, all of those things come from you. And God, those things that are true of the body of Christ in Charleston are equally true of the body of Christ gathered here and gathered all around the world. Father, it is the power of the resurrected Jesus seen in and through the working of the Holy Spirit 
God, no entertainment, no ritual, no just gathering together together. It is because of Christ. God, I pray that that power would be evident. I pray that as races come together, as denominations come together, that the world around us would see something different. And that as Christ is lifted up, all people would be drawn to him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So last week, we began to answer the question, who is God? I say we began to answer that question because you really can never answer that question fully. I mean, that is a question that takes an eternity to, to get, your, get your mind around and your heart around. We began to say, who, who is God? What does it look like to explore that question? And even though we can't know God fully, we can know him faithfully. And we have to be careful in that distinction because some people say, well, you can't really know God. And then as a result of that, God becomes whoever we want him to be or whoever we make him up to be. Just because we can't know him fully doesn't mean that it's impossible to know him faithfully and to know him faithfully according to his word. And so today we're moving from God is Trinity. We looked at that last week, that it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. And when you grab onto truths like that and you begin to sing truths like that, you end up in situations where you're singing a song in church, and your six-year-old leans over to you and says, did they say three and one? And then as the pastor, you say, shh, just, we'll talk about it later. Uh, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, like I'm trying to get my mind around this, and, my, and we're singing songs about the Trinity, and six-year-olds are asking questions about it. This is good, though, because we are pressing into this question. We want to know who God is. And so today, we're taking a step, and we're going to break down Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and focus on God is Father. And in one of those ways that you can never truly plan, as I was kind of mapping out what our sermons would look like this summer, I thought, okay, we need to look at Trinity, and the next week we need to look at God as Father. What week will that be? Oh, wait, <laughs> that's going to be Father's Day weekend. Thank you, Lord, for the way that things like that uh, work out. And, and so we're looking at this truth that, that God is Father, and we're looking at it on Father's Day because we believe that those two fit together and I'll just tell you right up front that obviously I don't know what your situation is or was like with your father. There are some people here when they think of Father's Day, it's, it's pain, it's difficulty. Either because of a father who did not act like a father, maybe not knowing your father, maybe you knew your father but it, it brings back just terrible memories, or maybe you hurt because Father's Day represents a father who has passed. And this may be your first Father's Day, that's the reality. And so many of those things can come in and impact how we understand who God to be as Father. And I'm not telling you to leave any of those emotions at the door. Sometimes if we're not careful in church, we'll say things like, oh, just leave all those things at the door. If there was ever a place you don't have to leave those things at the door, this is it. You can bring that pain, you can bring that suffering, or you may bring in incredible ideas of a father, incredible memories of a father. But whatever the case is, we want to understand fatherhood, we want to understand God's power in light of what Scripture says about that. And this morning we're going to look at four characteristics of God as Father. If you turn your bulletin over to the back or your worship guide over to the back, you'll see some notes 
that relate to this. We're going to look at four qualities that come from the end of Ephesians 1 and also the end of Matthew 11. And you'll notice on there that the God, the Father, is supreme. He is the designer. He is the ruler. And he is the finisher. And if I would have thought harder, I would have changed the word supreme to something that ends with E-R. Because then they all would have matched and my preaching score would have gone way up. But uh, instead, the first term there is supreme because I didn't think about it until it was too late. But but it's going to help us understand what's happening here in Scripture. Let's look back at Ephesians chapter 1 really quickly. And look at verse 17. This is going to be up on the screen as well. But if you have your phone open or you have your Bible open, look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. Where Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, there's that phrase there, the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that, look at the results, so that you may know him better. And then over in Matthew chapter 11, you're welcome to turn there, you can just look at it on the screen. Matthew chapter 11 verse 25, at that time Jesus said, I praise you. Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Now there's a question that comes out here that is, is very foundational, but it's very difficult. Because we've been talking about how God is Trinity. One God existing eternally and equally as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What we mean when we say that is the Father is fully God, The Son is fully God, and the Holy Spirit is fully God. And if you're tracking it all with me, it would be a good time to argue and say, you saying there's one God, equally Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but now you're telling me that the Father is supreme, or that somehow he seems to be over, that Jesus could say, I praise you, Father, the Son praising the Father. How does that work out? Well, look at the time. Huh. It's, uh, no, no, I can't take the easy way out. That, that, wouldn't, be, uh, that wouldn't be fair. What is, it, what is going on here? What is going on here is there are two words that are very important to grasp when we're talking about the Trinity. It's the word roll, R-O-L-E, not roll like you roll down the hill, but R-O-L-E, the role that you play, and relationship, the relationship between persons. Because when we talk about God, we're talking about one God throughout Scripture. Very clear that there is one God. But he exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in those persons, each person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, plays different roles and has different relationships with one another. And in those relationships, the Father is supreme. That does not make Jesus a lesser God. Or it doesn't mean that God the Father is one-third God and Jesus is one-third God and the Holy Spirit is one-third God. It doesn't mean that. It means that in their roles and in their relationships, the Father is supreme. How do you know this? How do we know this according to Scripture? One of the keys is simply to look at how Jesus refers to the Father. You'll notice in your notes that as it goes through each of the points on the back of your worship guide or the back of your bulletin, that I've used a line from the Lord's Prayer 
to explain these different things. And the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer is, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Praise to the Father. Jesus, as he prays to the Father, is talking about the Father's greatness. Now, when people will argue with this idea of the Trinity or make fun of the Trinity, they'll say, look how silly that is. If there's one God and the Father's God and Jesus is God and Jesus is praying to the Father, isn't he just praying to himself? How silly is that? But he's not praying to himself because we've already established that within the Trinity there are three persons with different roles and different relationships. And so the Son looks to the Father in this place of authority. And I think that it's our own struggle with authority that makes it so difficult to grasp this point. Because the idea of God the Father being supreme is not an embarrassment to the Trinity. It's at the very heart of the Trinity. And as we think about this, we need to remember that authority, when we're talking about God, is directly related to love. When we think about authority, we often think about ruthless power. We think about a tyrant that rules over or a supreme over an area and someone who love is the last word that you would use to describe that person. But we know from John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God's authority as father is directly related to who he is as a loving father, a loving God. And dads, let's just face it that this is very difficult in our role as fathers. Because as the father, there is a God-given, God-shaped authority that comes with that role. But it is so hard to hold authority together with love. How do I know that? Because I fail every single week at that. If you saw me at two o'clock in the morning when our three-year-old wakes up screaming and won't go back to bed, my authority does not match my love very well at that point, okay? I'll just, be, I'll just be honest to you. There was a moment this last week that we were in a local store and my three-year-old grabbed the, the, the caulk, C-A-U-L-K, the caulk, and stabbed her brother with the caulk in the uh, aisle. And I reacted with authority, but not with love. And then followed by that was, oh my goodness, I'm in a local store where there's a very good chance that the church members are around. And so the lesson from that story was the pastor will not shop locally anymore. Like I just can't even, I I can't take the chance. Like there is no way, because as I grab my kid, I'm thinking, oh my word, who just saw me do this? When we talk about God as Father, we're talking about perfect authority, perfect ruling, being absolutely supreme, yet doing it with perfect love. And as dads, any place authority that you have in your own lives, we have to couple those two together. The Trinity teaches us what it looks like to live as a worshiper of God. The second point is that God the Father is a designer. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 25. No, no, I'm sorry. This is, this is Matthew chapter 11. I got my Ephesians and Matthew mixed up. Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. At that time, 
Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because, and look at this, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. In the Lord's Prayer, it says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Those words kingdom, that word will, what that points to is a father who has designed things to work in a particular way. He has a kingdom that he's establishing, and it looks the way he wants it to look. He has a will that he is seeking to be lived out on earth, and it's his will, not ours. He is a perfect designer. One of the memories that I have, my, my dad is still living, and I'm in a situation where I'm very blessed to have good memories of, of my father. I was disciplined appropriately, and sometimes those aren't the best memories, but I have good, good memories with my dad, even, even up to this day. But one thing that sticks out to me about my dad is my dad loved to plan vacations, we were school teachers, they were school teachers, um, and so during the winter break and the summer break, we would do odd jobs to make a little bit of extra money to be able to go on vacations. And I can still remember my dad sitting at the kitchen table because when he planned a vacation, he designed a vacation. I mean, he went to incredible detail to put these vacations together. Usually it went really well. A couple of times it didn't go so well. We ended up in a cabin one time that was ant infested and, and my mom never allowed us to stay in any place called a cabin after that because of how bad that particular experience went. But he loved to design vacations for his family. God the Father, one thing that is true of him is that he is the perfect designer. He has designed the whole universe he just designed every person's life for his glory, for the good of others, and for our joy. All of those things are true because he is the perfect designer. But here's what we have to remember. If God is the designer and we don't live according to his design, that's called sin. So God has designed the world to work in a certain way. When we live in a way that doesn't match that design, what we're saying is God I don't like your design. I don't like how you have set things up. I don't like your kingdom. I want to show you a picture on the screen. And we've looked at this before as a church, but, but I want you to see it again. I know it's a little bit small. Test your eyesight, so I'll, I'll walk you through it. Right in the middle is a little square that says that you can download this picture on your phone with the three circles app. Sometimes it's called the Life Conversation app as you're searching in iTunes or, or the Android store. This is an app that you can download on your phone, and it is fantastic for telling people about the good news of Jesus. But the way that this, this image works is in the top left, it says God's design. This is how God, as Father, has designed the world and our lives to work. This is, this is God's plan. It's his will. There's an arrow going out to the right that says sin. Sin means we are moving away from God's design, from God's plan. And sin always leads to brokenness. There are a bunch of squiggly lines going out to the side of brokenness. We live in a world where people try to deal with the brokenness in their lives in a million different ways. Drugs, alcohol, 
money, sexual relationships, popularity. We try to deal with this problem of sin in so many different ways. And yet the only way that will truly take care of the brokenness is if we go to the gospel. Gospel is a fancy church word that means good news. It's the good news that Jesus has taken our brokenness and completely defeated it. So when we repent and believe in the gospel, then there's one more arrow that points back up to God's design. It says recover and pursue. The reason that God has transformed your life, if you are here and you are a Christian, You are a follower of Jesus Christ. He has healed the sin and the brokenness in your life. The result of that is that you seek God's design for your life. You say, God, you have designed life to work in this way. And I'm going to live life in that way. You say it's better to give than receive. I'm going to be a giver more than a receiver. You say that sexual relationship is designed for marriage. I'm going to live according to that. I'm going to live according to that pattern. God, you say that it's good to tell the truth and not lie. That's your design. So I'm going to seek to tell the truth and not lie. All of these things that are God's design, he has designed it for our good, for our joy. And if we do follow after him and we seek his design, that's what we call worship. We're worshiping him and say, I think that your vacation is fantastic. And I'm going to go on it because you designed it and you are a loving father who knows what is best for me. There's another part of God's design that I want to talk about before we go on to the next place. I believe, and and I've come to this belief through the teaching of, of some other people, but it's becoming very clear that God has designed the global marketplace for the spread of the gospel. Here's what I want to talk about. There are billions of people who have never heard about Jesus. And scripture is clear from beginning to end that God desires for all people to know his love and for all people to worship him. And we live in a world where God has so designed the marketplace and so designed the global world that we live in right now that we have an unparalleled possibility to reach people with the good news of Jesus. It will not be preachers and it will not be professional missionaries that ultimately end up taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. It will be international business people. It will be school teachers. It will be coaches. It will be the huge wave of retirees that is coming onto the scene in the next 10 to 15 years. It will be college students. These are the people who will reach the world with the gospel. Because you will be able to go into places that I'll never be able to go into. And if I understand scripture correctly, my main job is to equip and encourage you to use the way that God has designed you in order to reach the world with the gospel, not for the professional missionaries and the preachers to go there. And so I hope that we'll be able to think about this way that God has designed everything for his glory. Which means, and you may want to write this down because it's a statement I repeat to myself over and over again. God never wastes our experiences. No matter what you've experienced in life, 
No matter what your life has looked like, no matter what your business career has looked like, no matter what your family has looked like, God never wastes our experiences. He has designed everything for his glory, the good of others, and our joy. Why? Third point on your notes. Because God is a giver. God is a giver. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. God the Father is a giver. Ephesians chapter 1. Oops, page blew over. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. Paul says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for those who believe. And then Matthew eleven twenty seven says, all things have been committed to me by my father. God the Father could do everything on his own if he so chose, but he doesn't do that because at his very core, he is a giver. He is a delegator. Here it works itself out in a couple of different ways. The first way is this. God is the giver of salvation. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, and we try to say this every week, and I want to be particularly clear We want this to be a safe place for you to come. We're not saying that everybody who gathers at 1030 on Sunday morning has to already be a follower of Jesus. If you're here because you're here out of respect for your family, or you're here because you're just here out of respect for for a church, but you're not yet following Jesus, hear me out on this. God is a giver, and the way that he shows that most clearly is through giving salvation. Salvation. Having our sins washed away and being given new life, all of that darkness and all of that sin in the past gone, it comes as a gift. No ritual, no religious experience, nothing that you could buy, nothing that you could be born into, none of that will take care of our sin. It is a gift, not by works so that anyone can boast. It is a gift because it comes fully from the Lord. And we receive that gift because of what he has given to us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave, he sent. The the father sent the son so that we would have everlasting life, so that we would be saved. But here's another way that it works itself out. God as a giver. And it goes back to that idea that he doesn't waste any of our experiences. Every season in life is a gift from God. I want to apologize for something um, in, in front of you. I've noticed that because of where I am in life, a lot of my illustrations and preaching involve families, and, and that's just kind of the world that we live in. We live in the stab your brother with cock world right now. Okay, that's our, that's our season in life. But that's not everybody's season in life. And especially if you are here today and you are single, I'm committing to you that I'm going to do a better job of reminding how the truth of God's word impacts your life as a single. Because the church is not a gathering of families. The church is a family. It's not like we call a church, hey, you've got to be a part of a family to come here. and be. The church is a family, according to scripture. And so single, empty nester, kids at home, whatever that looks like, we come together as a family. But if you are single 
and you're here this morning, you're trying to think, what does it look like to follow Jesus? I want to read you a quote from a lady named Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot passed away this past week. She was a well-known missionary. If you are a young lady, or if you are a parent of a girl that's going into middle school, high school type range, run, don't walk to buy an Elizabeth Elliot book for your daughter or your granddaughter or yourself. If you need a place to start, you can start with Passion and Purity, but there are about 10 that you could go out and any of them would be, would be good to find. Um, Elizabeth Elliot has this quote. She says, single life may be only a stage of a life's journey, but even a stage of life is a gift. God may replace it with another gift one day, but the receiver always accepts his gifts with thanksgiving just as they are. This gift for this day, the life of faith, and this applies to every one of us, the life of faith is lived one day at a time. And each stage of life has to be lived not just look forwarding to not just to look forward to the next stage as if the real living were right around the next corner it's today for which you're responsible god still owns tomorrow we need to be reminded that whatever stage in life we are in right now it is a gift from god if you are a retiree that stage is a gift from god If you are an empty nester still working, that's a gift from God. If you're a new parent, that's a gift from God. If you're a single or you're in high school, that's a gift from God. Every single stage is a gift from God. I have prayed to the good Lord this last week to get me out of this stage of life. And then he sent me this quote and said, Owen, this stage right now, it's a gift from me. And I will not waste it and you will use it for my glory as hard as it might be. Everything we have is a gift from God. All right, let's finish up with number four. So God's not only a giver, God the Father is a finisher. Look at the Ephesians 1 again, and and we're going to look at uh, 19 down through 21. This power, it says in Ephesians 1, 19, this power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all of rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked. Then this last phrase, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. One thing we know about God the Father is that he will be faithful. And a faithful God is a finishing God which means that the work that he has started in your life, he will bring to completion. For some of you, you in the last few months have been on your journey back toward God. You've been away from God, you've been away from church, and you're on that journey back. And let me just tell you to keep going. Because the work that the Lord has begun in your life, he will bring it to completion. He is a God who finishes. I don't know what's next in my life. I don't know what's next in your life. I don't know what's next for our church. But what I do know is that God will be perfectly faithful. And he will lead us on the path we need to follow to the goal that he has set in mind because it's for his glory, the good of others, and our joy. In 1992, at the Olympic Games, 
there was a British 400-meter uh, record holder named Derek Redman. Derek Redman had made it through the opening rounds uh, in the 400 meters, and he got to the semifinals. Many of you will have this image in, in your mind, even as I tell the story. But Derek Redman took off in the 400 meters, got just a little ways down the track, and tore his hamstring. In complete agony, goes, goes to the ground. I think this was at the Barcelona Games in, in 92, the Barcelona Games. Goes to the ground, this huge gasp in the crowd, all the runners continue to go. And then the camera catches a man barging past security, the way that only a dad could barge past uh, security. And Derek Redmond's father, Jim, makes it onto the track, goes over, takes his son, and they finish the race together. Personified best by Morgan Freeman's voice in the Visa commercial that, that ran after this incident. But what I re- was reminded of this week as I thought about that, that event is God the Father is a faithful finisher. And he will do whatever it takes to guide his children to the end. And if they are hurting and they are limping, and they are having trouble finding their way, he is right there to take them to the end. He is supreme, he is designer, he is giver, and he is the finisher. And we're gonna celebrate that this morning by singing an old, old song called Great is Thy Faithfulness. There is almost a 100% chance that the Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston sang this song this morning because it comes out of that heritage, it comes out of that, that AME history. But we've seen remembering about the goodness of our Father. And I don't know how God is working in your life specifically this morning, but if I can pray for you, if we can talk with you more about his love, about his grace, you may just need to stand there and sing, God, it's been a hard week, it's been a hard month, it's been a hard year, Great is your faithfulness. Thank you, Father, for who you are. Let's pray together, and we're going to have this time of of response.